listening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with science advisor Matt Moniz. Stephanie Burke has the night off. Uh, it was a important day for her family, so mm-hmm. she was a little bit busy. It's hard having birthday parties for kids and you get wiped out pretty easy. So yep. we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are most Saturday nights. And uh, I was actually just talking about the paranormal. And it's funny because of all the years that we've been doing this, I haven't been back to Freetown to talk about the Bridgewater Triangle. Since we first started? When we first, the very first presentation we ever gave was in Freetown. Was that the first one or was the AHA night the first one we ever did? Uh, the AHA happened first, but it wasn't like a true presentation. Yeah, that was more like just getting up and talking. Yeah. Like giving some story. That was, that was a weird one. The aha uh-huh night when the guy yeah. called up and said, oh, "What are your What are your thoughts on soul collecting?" Yeah. And I was like, "Why are you trying to take mine?" <laughs> that was a very strange night, but it was fun. I mean, and, and certainly, you know, if they asked, we would be happy to to do something again. Although, um, our, pri- still, our prices have gone up over the years. I was going to say they're still doing aha. Uh-huh oh yeah, nights. absolutely. Yeah, every month. Um, but also, uh, I, I told the story. In the because tonight's tonight's um, lecture that I gave was at the Freetown State uh, the Freetown Police Department. They have a community room there, so they wanted a space that was big enough to handle uh, all of the people that were going to come. Because thank God I actually packed the room, or else I would have been embarrassed. <laughs> but uh, they figured that it would be a pretty popular event. And they were right. So there was standing room only, and I said the only way I'm going to do it at the Freetown Police Station is if the Freetown police agree to bring out the puck wedgie sign. And the librarian said, well, they said they're going to try to make it happen for you. And they delivered. I walked in and there it was right up at the front of the room. Everybody got to go up and take some photos with it. And um, so that was pretty cool. But I was telling them the story about how we shared the story of the lady of the ledge mm-hmm. at the Assonant ledge at our very first like real talk. I don't think we put anything PowerPoint together back then. Cause I didn't know how to do well, it. Yeah, we did because, um, I, I had that little uh, projector thing. Okay. And it was, it wasn't so much PowerPoint as it was just a rotation of going through pictures. Well, yeah. And in, in those days, um, we weren't really organized. Know, yeah, we we didn't have a, a formula for this right. yet. And now I've developed a a formula, and I have. You know, the, this working innate knowledge of all of the different things that I'm going to be talking about. So I can just pop in different slides. I have like my master list of everything and I just create presentations based on what people want, what, what the libraries ask for. And I've been putting the Freetown one in because I've, I'm out doing the, the one everybody's been asking for this year is I'm doing the Bridgewater Triangle on its ghosts. Yeah. So it's a heavy focus on the ghost stories. And I put in the ledge story. And I'm telling this to the group, and I was like, you know, this is the first thing, that, the first time that I ever realized, like, oh, you're going to get caught up in some of this stuff because some of the things you've read aren't true. And I shared the story about it being the Indian princess and all yeah. that. And then I told them how, you know, we got called out on it from the person in the crowd that was like, eh, except for that was a quarry. So it wouldn't have been, there was no ledge back in those days. Well, so, it was a, <clears throat> there was a precipice. It was, it was excavated out on right, underneath it. It wasn't, there was nothing she would have. Right. killed herself off of right and so it's 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 funny that it kind of came full circle like that um but also a great move by the freetown library putting this on tonight 
they had cider and donuts. So yeah, yeah, cider so. and donuts is always a win. I, I shouldn't tell the libraries this, but I'd, I'd probably take a little bit less money if they were going to, if I knew they were going to have hot cider out. <laughs> no, that's not true. But the, um, <laughs> the price is even better if it's spiked. Well, well, I had, the, I, I had my fill of alcohol for the week the other night when I was telling stories at Stonepath Malt. Ooh. That was, I had three beers before I even took the stage. So I'm sure that the stories sounded a lot funnier to me than they did to the people. <laughs> I kept encouraging people to drink up and have yeah. plenty of drinks so that, you know, I would be funnier. But um, it was great, you know, getting out and talking to people, going down. I So I spoke. I have to talk to you after the show because um, I ran into somebody that we, we met a long time ago. Uh, I was in, uh, where was I last night? Katuit. So I was on the Cape. Okay. And I ran into a former member of Capers. Oh. Uh, who wanted to share some some documents with me and, and share a story with me. So I will share that with you after we're on the air. So it's... It, once we talk about it, you and I, I, I did tell him I would reach out to him to see if he wanted to come on and share these stories. It's not about him, but it's about a family member. And it was some very interesting stories. So hopefully that can happen. Uh, but certainly going out and, and listening to people share their own stories with me during the Q&A section, I've caught on to so much more new things that I can add in in the future. Somebody was telling me tonight that they ride their a mountain bike through the, bridge, uh, the Freetown State Forest. Yep. And that... They think that puckwudgies actually broke the bike one time. Okay, you so, have my interest. How how did that happen? The, the gentleman was taking part in this uh, event that they do. I guess they do these bike races through there yeah. on mountain bikes. Yeah. They have one that, what do they call it? They, they call the hill puckwudgies attack or the course puckwudgies attack. And there's this hill that he was you know, going to get ready to go down. And he said the last time he had gone down that hill, he had kind of barely made it through with his life. And he was getting ready to go hit it again. And he was like kind of really feeling it that day when the bike just like broke and snapped apart. And we're not talking about like a, a, a cheap $50 bike from Walmart. We're talking, although they're not at $50 anymore, but yeah. no, we're I not talking a cheap Walmart bike. We're talking like an expensive mountain bike that shouldn't really snap like that. And, uh, and, he, and he told me it happened in a couple of different places. So he would go out there for a long time after that and leave offerings for the puckwudgies, he would leave sweets for them hmm. because he was convinced that even though they probably broke his light, uh, his bike, they saved his life by doing that because maybe he was a little too cocky taking on that hill that he'd had so much trouble with before. Hmm. And they also shared with me a story about, and again, I'm not naming any names, so I, I don't think they'll mind me telling the story, but apparently they'd gone out with a group and they were going into the forest and they saw a group of beautiful young girls. Like they remarked just how beautiful these young girls were. And they were letting them go ahead of them. And at one point they wanted to kind of pass by them with their bikes, but they didn't want to interrupt what they were doing. So they asked if they could go by. And I guess one of the girls said to this guy something about, you know, maybe I'll take a shot at you. He was like, oh, what? So, and I guess these beautiful young girls like morphed into a group of old hags. Oh. Which made me think of that story that Chris Balzano tells about the witch that lived in the cabin mm -hmm. in the forest that, that, that uh, grabbed that young boy. So I just, you know, whenever you hear new stories like that, they're very intriguing. And I love going out there and having people tell me those. It's, you know, they never want to raise their hand at the end during the Q&A, but they come <laughs> up to you afterwards when you're, 
when you're uh, packing everything up. Now, getting back to uh, the Freetown thing, and did anybody else relate the Lady of the Ledge story or, or being aware of it? Because, like I said, these came from people I know that before, you know. You they, know, they, I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else but you tell me that they've seen it with their own eyes. But they've heard of it. Yeah, the story is, yeah, the story is well known. Yeah. But I, I think that I, I don't know that I've encountered anybody. Or if, if they have, I kind of don't remember. Uh, because I've I found out about the legend by seeing it. And I, I kind of think I'm pretty savvy when it comes to, you know, ghost stories around here. And is like I, I knew about stuff at in Freetown and other places, but I never put together the the ledge thing I, I always associated that with the ufo stuff because of ufo reporting and then to actually have a ghost quote-unquote sighting and then have every you know everybody else that lives in the area that i've known is like oh yeah you didn't know about her i'm like no i didn't but it was interesting when we went the first time there like you were talking about it's like we heard this legend and everybody there is like, yeah, we know it, but that, and that guy is like, but that can't be true because of this. Right. And and the story, the more that the story has stayed out there, kind of as a story that people tell, the more you start to think that you would hear more people telling it. That because it's become a popular story, people will be like, I've seen her, I've seen her too, whether or not they're telling the truth or not. I mean, you like know, there's the probably- the hitchhiker. But even that, the stories of that have kind of- they peaked for a little while, but even those have kind of receded a little bit. Mm. And I think what it is, is I think if you start to accept some of these stories for the legends that they are, then... The legend calms down. Yeah, it kind of recedes back and it stay, it still stays part of the fabric because you're still telling you, the story. Yeah, thank you for acknowledging me. I get to live a little longer on this. But yeah, you don't, you don't need to make yourself as, as well known. Yeah. Uh, I know that when I went out to Route 44. Uh, again, I had never gone there. I only went to Anawan Rock for the first time ever, like a few months ago. You're kidding. I know, right? You would think that after all these years of talking about it, I would have gone out there, but I never did. I was driving with my son. We were going down Route 44, yeah. and, and I, I said to him, I was like, oh, wait, there's Anawan Rock. I've never gone. Do you mind if we stop? And he's like, yeah, let's go check it out, because he likes history. He's not really into the paranormal, mm. but he likes the historical aspect of it. So we went, we climbed the rock. I told him some of the stories, him being the logically minded person he is, he's trying to figure out like, well, you know, I could see why people might see smoke, maybe not fires, but I could see why they see smoke because there's houses around here. It's like, yeah, but the story is that they actually see the there's fires. Fire. I've seen it. Andy and I saw it. And so, you know, and then he was talking about like hearing drums and we were talking about hearing drums and he's like, well, it is close to the road. So, you know, it could be that it could be somebody's car going by, you know, he's trying to debunk everything. Um, but we, we spent a good half an hour, 45 minutes out there. And I said, well, let's go back sometime at night and we'll, we'll see what happens. But we just haven't had a chance to go back yet. But that same night I was like, well, let's go to the, let's go to the stretch of 44 where the redheaded hitchhiker is seen. And we went back and forth a few times, but we, we didn't see anything. And I think, I think I'd be the last person that he would appear to because I tell his story so often. Hmm. You know, every time we do the stage show, that's one that I have to tell, even though, man, I would like to, you know, tell completely different stories all the time. But it's like, it's almost like you become like a band. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I get you. you like do you the have hit. To, yeah, you hit. have to play the greatest hits. 
And so that's one of them. And I, you know, I've accepted it. And I have fun with the story. I enjoy telling it. Mm. And I always start off like the, the Bridgewater Triangle presentation that I'm doing now. I always start off with the hitchhiker story because it allows me to delve into the idea of, you know, I first I start off with what is a ghost and we go through some of the different possibilities and the theories. But then jumping into the hitchhiker story allows me to also explore the idea that some of these are just legends and that it's OK for legends to just exist on their own. Um, one of the things that I, I don't talk about in it, because it is about the ghosts, is I don't talk about a lot of the physical phenomena that happen. So I'm not talking about the Bigfoot sightings, the Pukwudgie sightings, the UFO encounters. Um, I'm, I'm talking a little bit more of the abstract. Black, the black dogs, the giant snakes. And so those are things that I think can happen outside of how often people talk about them. You know, like it doesn't matter because those are physical manifestations. Those are physical things as opposed to, you know, the, the lady in white lady of the ledge, the redheaded hitchhiker. Uh, what are some of the other ones that are definitely just straight up legends? You know, like uh, those, the, <clears throat> the haunted carriage going over Indian bridge in, the, in Bridgewater, the, the mad trucker of Copacut road, road, you yeah. know, that's not even really necessarily a real legend, but it's or just a real road. True. <laughs> But these these stories, I think, can ebb and flow, and they can they can wax and wane depending on how much people are paying attention to them. But you know, if Bigfoot is out there, then Bigfoot is out there. He's going to be out there whether you're talking about him or not. Yeah. Speaking of Bigfoot, uh, last week when I was because we didn't have a show last week, I was um I was going to come in, but I got buried under some work and I was exhausted, so I just stayed home. Knowing you were out, knowing Stephanie was out, I was yeah. like, yeah, it's not worth it for me to go in. So I, I didn't get to see you, but um, when I went and spoke in West Bridgewater a couple weeks ago, uh, Joseph DeAndrade came. So it was oh. cool cool seeing him there. There were like some people in the crowd that were fans of the Bridgewater Triangle documentary who were like, oh, that's that's the guy from the documentary. So he was he was more of a more of a focus that night than my stories were. So, um, which is great because he, he's he's a character. He's a nice guy. He's, yeah. a, he's all right. He's a character. And so uh, yeah, getting out there and seeing a lot of our friends, and I'm going to be out there all next week too. So I will look forward to seeing everybody out there. I just want to let you know really quickly because this is something that I've been talking about on my morning show on. Tuesday, I'm speaking at the New Bedford Public Library, but I'm actually doing it remotely via Zoom. And they sent out an email that has all the information about how to sign up for the Zoom. So this is going to be, I'm going to be talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. And if you want to see it via Zoom, if you've already seen it, if you've seen me going around talking about it, you know, maybe leave some of those slots open for people who haven't. I appreciate the fact that you want to hear me tell all the same stories and make all the same jokes again but maybe leave it open for some other folks. You can go to tinyurl.com slash spookynb to sign up. That's tinyurl.com slash spookynb. Or if you need to, you can email me, tim at spookysouthcoast.com, and I will forward you the link to register. But again, tinyurl.com slash spookynb. That's on Tuesday. Um, on Monday, I'll be doing the same thing with Brockton. I'll be talking about Lizzie Borden. That'll also be via Zoom. So at least for two days, I um, I can stay home and, and do these presentations. Well, it makes it a little easier on technology. Not that I'm complaining. I love it. I love the fact that so many places want me to go out there and be there in person. So, so grateful to have all these opportunities after the last couple of years being slow. But the important thing is people are having a good time. 
and the libraries were all saying, hey, we definitely want to have you back. So I'd, I'd feel really bad if I was getting out there and totally blowing it, which not, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you, you go and you're like, hey, <laughs> this was not my best night. Yes. And then you never know how people are going to take it. I drove all the way the other night to Ashburnham. Oh, God. So you know where that's next to? That's next to Gardner right, and yeah. Winchenden and yeah. all those places that we go for for events. Yeah. And so I go to Ashburnham. There's three, like, young girls that are walking in around the same time that I'm setting up everything. They have me in this upstairs room, a beautiful library, the Stevens Memorial Library. And and then a woman walks in. And I don't even know how the conversation started, but within two minutes she tells me that she graduated 50 years ago from Dartmouth High School. Okay. And then, but she's moved up to Ashburnham. And then a couple comes in, and that couple moved to Ashburnham from Dartmouth back in February of last year. <laughs> so it was really cool, like, that there were three people in the crowd that were from the South Coast as I'm up there talking about, you know, some of the ghosts of the South Coast two hours away. Uh, but, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm looking forward to all of the ones this week. Uh, again, let me give you the rundown. So Monday is the Brockton Public Library via Zoom. You can check that out. Um, by the, on their Facebook page and on their website. By the way, when I was in Katuit last night, I, that was an early afternoon p- presentation. Mm-hmm. So I was out of there by like 5, 5.30, went to Tiki Port for dinner. Ah, Tiki Port. Couldn't be that close to Tiki Port and not have some dinner there. Uh, so Monday, Brockton, Tuesday, New Bedford. Wednesday, I will be in Ekushnet at the Ekushnet Public Library at 6 p.m. talking about haunted objects. On Thursday, the 27th at 6.30, I'll be talking about the Bridgewater Triangle and its ghosts at the Elizabeth Tabor Library in Marion. Uh, Friday at 7.30, I will be at the Avon Public Library talking about ghosts of the South Coast. Saturday at 2 p.m., I'll be at the Attleboro Public Library talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. And then my final one is Sunday, the 30th at 1 p.m. at the Duxbury Library talking about ghosts of the South Coast and the South Shore. So... Um, which I'll probably put a focus on the Bridgewater Triangle too, because people know it and it, and it explains a lot of it. I'm sure I know you're doing your thing on, on Sunday, on Sunday. Yep. and I'm sure that that can, that will have, that's not this Sunday, next Sunday, correct? the 30th. The, yeah. The 30th. I'm sure that will have some, um, triangle focus to it as well because of the, yeah. the stories you'll it's, be telling. Yeah. Um, Andy Lake and I are doing, uh, true ghost stories, uh, you know, the South Coast, basically. And it's going to be at the uh, Social Harmony Lodge in Wareham, Massachusetts, Cranberry, Cranberry Highway, uh, from 5 to 7. And there's a spaghetti dinner, uh, 10 bucks for adults, $5 for children. And it's also going to have a costume contest and prizes given, and all the money goes to a charity. So... And don't you find it a little bit more easy to get in front of a, a group of people and explain why some of these stories happen when you do have a, I don't want to say a cause, but you have, you know, the, the Bridgewater Triangle is an overarching thing to yeah. be able to say, like, here is what happened. You know, it's almost like we were fighting for a long time to try to explain to people about why this happens and why all these ghost stories happen here. And then the documentary came out, everybody saw it, and now it's made a big difference. Right. Everybody uh, is like, okay, triangle. So we know weird things happen in the triangle area. Now, 
trying to explain it to other people, they don't understand it. You know, it's more the southern region of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Cape Cod area. You know, the triangle itself, as defined by Lauren Coleman, was just a an area that... Just the Bridgewaters. Yeah, yeah. And even he admits there's the whole area it has... It, is steeped in and all it, these weird and things. And it did in the 70s and yeah. in early 80s when he was researching it. Right. He just wanted to have that Bridgewater Triangle moniker because of the Bermuda no, Triangle, and it correct. was catchy. But the, um, you know, I show a map of what I would define the triangle as, and mine goes all the way up into, you know, America, Stonehenge, and Salem, New, New Hampshire. New Hampshire. And, yeah. and it goes all the way down into Rhode Island. And But I always point out, too, like, I'm only showing you this because I have to show you a triangle. Right. Like, there's so much more that happens around it. And speaking of the Bridgewater Triangle, we will have our investigation show. So I know that I keep saying that, you know, we push it off because of time, and that is part of it. But we had, and I don't want to get into the details of it yes. because I don't know how public it is, but somebody who is one of our regular participants yes. in that. For many years. And who is a very close friend, has uh, had a medical emergency and is um, hospitalized. And I didn't want to put it together until she is out and, and ready to, um, you know, at least, you know, if there, if there is a timeline where she can come back and be part of it, we want to wait for her. Yeah. And if she can't, I want to just at least make sure that, you know, we can go forward without her doing it um, because she is so valuable to how often that we have done this. So I don't want to put out any more information than that. There is some information floating around social media, but until I see her post something about it or until she tells me directly it's okay to post about it, I don't want to, I don't want to mention it. You know, I don't want to give yeah. all the details. But um, so that's why we are probably going to put it on the back burner, maybe, maybe until early November. So, and a reminder, there won't be a show November 5th because I'll be at the Wayside Inn and that whole weekend... I have spooky friends coming. So we still have tickets to the Wayside in event, but we don't have any rooms left. We sold the rooms out today, which is a little bit sad because I was going to stay there. I was going to take one of the rooms for myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd rather not have to spend the $200 for the room, but, you know, if somebody else wants to stay there, it makes it easy for them. But I have enough friends going that I might just crash on somebody's floor solely so I can get up the next day and have the prime rib hash as part of my breakfast. Ooh. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, so, but um, we will have the Bridgewater Triangle show for you uh, at some point in the near future. One thing I do want to bring up too, and this is another show that I want to have in the near future, and, and maybe you and I can get into this a little bit tonight, Monies, but it's also not a topic that you and I should necessarily get into. And I, I, I certainly would okay, rather have Stephanie here to, right. to discuss it, but I'm trying to put together a panel discussion because... As we have, when we started doing this, when, well, when you, certainly when you started doing it, for sure, I'm sure it was very much a boys club. Yeah, I, I, I with certain notable exceptions like Rosemary Ellen Guiley sure. and, you know. You know, you, yeah, you've got to, to, to reach a Rosemary level, a Sherry Steiger, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, Linda Moulton Howe, you know, yeah. like you're talking about people who broke out of the mold. Right. And the re regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill, boots-on-the-ground investigators were probably predominantly male, Men. I would assume. Yeah, yeah. And now that it has become so much more accessible for people to learn about this, 
Uh, you know, back then it was a, you know, it was, it was hard. You read about it in a book, but unless you knew somebody that could take you out and teach you how to do it, as you were fortunate enough to have happen, yes, you know, very it, fortunate. It might not work that way for everybody, but now it's much more accessible. So more people are out there trying to do it, and there is still a lack of female representation. Agreed. I would, I would argue that it is, if you, if you go through, just say. You go through my Facebook friends list and you look at everybody that's paranormal related. You're going to find more women than men, I believe, you know, and that's yeah. just, just because I only accept women's friend. Request. I'm just saying, like, I think that there's more women overall that are involved in the field than there are men. But the representation doesn't work out that way. Well, that I think that has to do with women being more open minded about things than men. And, and so it's one of their interests where most guys are, you know, who's the latest box score going up? In, you know, they, well, they have different. I, I think so part of, and, and we're going to break this down in an episode. I'm going to be putting together a panel um, with some women who are going to come on and talk about this. But part of the issue is, to, you know, kind of to your point, the women who are doing it are just going out there and doing it. The men who are doing it are going out there and crowing about it. Yeah. So, and the people who are crowing about it are the ones that get the attention of, say, the television shows that are looking to find people to put on TV. So you see a lot more male-dominated things on TV. The other part of it, too, is this is something that has been discussed with me from people who work in television, that women don't like to see other women on television in roles of intelligence, in roles of leadership, they want to see, and this isn't, I'm not saying this is the truth. I'm saying this is what the perception that's coming from TV people. They want to see shows like, you know, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, where they can talk about the mother and how they want to watch like shows where the, the women are a wreck, like Real Housewives. They want to watch shows where they can feel better than the people they're watching. And and that's true for all of reality television, male or female. Yeah. But that, yeah. for some reason, putting a smart woman on TV doesn't garner an audience. And this is this was told to me by a television producer, you you're, know, ten years you're ago. You're talking uh, well, meaning like meaning a real. I mean, they, there were, were plenty of what we'll call fictional characters where women were strong. Uh, uh, yeah, but not, but you're talking <clears throat> in reality. Women right. don't like to see other women succeed because. It, they want to feel better that's, about themselves. That's the perception. Is, what, is, that, is these, that what you're trying to yeah. say? The the perception is. That's okay. the perception that was coming from these producers. The producers would say things like, the only women that you can put on TV have to be eye candy for the men to watch. And we actually, we, uh, we filmed the sizzle reel for somebody that told us that later. And, you know, we had to like cut bait with these people and say, no, that's not what we're all about. Like we actually went and filmed the sizzle reel when we sent it over the person was like, more of Stephanie and Tiffany, because that's what's going to sell. And we're like, what do you mean that's what's going to sell? And they're like, because that's what guys want to watch attractive women put into dangerous. I was like, no, no, we're not making that show. So th these are the kind of things that have happened over the years. So I, again, this isn't me saying it. This is what people have told me. I don't agree with it. I'm just telling you what I've been told by those in the business. However, the ugly reality yeah, of what the, the media winds up being. You so. do need more representation of women in these shows. 
I would actually argue that in the early days, there were a lot more women. When you yeah. watch Ghost Hunters, and that was the only show, yeah. there was a balance of men and women. Yeah. Almost, and, almost equally balanced, actually. And the women were not treated as inferiors to the men. Yes, Jason and Grant were the lead investigators, but you know, that's they're the ones that formed the group. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the, the case anyway. But I think Chris Gartland, Donna LaCroix, um, Lisa Duality, no, like they were all yeah. presented as equally as the men in yep. those early seasons. Uh, then... You know, you certainly you had Amy Bruni come on and join the cast, and yep. she was a, a very dominant member, Chris Williams. So, it, it and, and still to this day with Sherry, they they just keep having strong women on that show. It's never a problem. But I think what happened was then Ghost Adventures came in, and it was three dudes all testosterone, and that kind of created a new model. And that created a more engaging model for people to watch. Because let's face it, Ghost Hunters was great. In those early days, they did a great job. I don't know. I don't watch it anymore because I just don't have time to watch paranormal shows. But Ghost Adventures was garnering more attention because yeah. it was more outrageous. Yeah. And so more flash. They're looking for more of that. So then they're going to start to put together more of these all-guy teams. I do think they're doing a better job with, if you look at shows like Destination Fear, which has smart, intelligent women as part of the team and more programs like that. It is getting out there. It's still not enough. I know, and it's going to keep going to, and, and I don't want to sound like I'm saying the women are complaining, but I know that women want to see an all-female team. Well, we've been host to all-female teams that have But started. they want to see it on a television show, on a uh, series. I and I, I don't think you're going to see that. I've, I, I will tell you right now that I have created three different treatments for all-female paranormal TV shows. And I have pitched it to production companies that I've worked with because there are networks that are geared toward the female demographic. And I said, this would be a perfect fit yeah. for a lifetime for, oh, for yeah. Oprah or we, you know, like in, or some of these streaming services. And they always, they're the ones that have always come back to me and said, that's not going to sell. Like, unless we, first of all, men won't watch that and women don't want to see it. So that's the way that they feel about it. I'm not saying that it's right. I'm just saying that that's the way that it's been portrayed. Maybe it's changed in the, you know, five or six years since I pitched these shows. But, I mean, at one point I developed a treatment for a show that would have started, would have starred Alexandra Holzer. And this is way yeah, pre-Holzer files. But it would have starred her teaming up with Marie D. Jones, who mm. is one of the smartest women that's out there writing books and researching paranormal things today. And the, 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 the plan was for Marie and Alexandra to go out together and also meet up with other women who were working in the field that maybe needed a little, I don't want to say mentoring, but like who could get uh, some more exposure for themselves by, by joining in on these investigations. And it was, I thought it was a great concept. And they came back and said, nobody's going to watch that because you, you can't get women to watch it. And men won't be interested in it. And I, I just, I couldn't believe that. I was like, are we trying to create paranormal programs that represent the paranormal? Or are we trying to create paranormal programs that uh, draw in a demographic? And that's when it was told yeah, to me. It's like, it's, it's really drawing about drawing in the demographic. demographic. Because that's who they're selling to. Right. You know, paranormal is. TV has no obligation to the paranormal. Right. I mean, yeah. a lot of them. Well, a, the, the, a lot of it is, you know, fluff. 
that that you see on a lot of these shows. We, well, we the, the, to, to be tell fair, me I'm wrong. No, to be fair, the production companies, the people who are involved, they want to cr- put out the best show that they can, and it's rare. Networks are starting to come around now, but it's rare that uh, you know Travel Channel being run by somebody who really gets it, they get it and they're able to put that kind of stuff right. out there. But I can tell you that when I was dealing with Destination America, they didn't always get it. They didn't always get what it was that we were trying to do, and they were more about, like, what's going to get eyeballs on it. So less about where can we push the paranormal question and more about can we find some demons. And I would actually get notes back from the network that would say, hey, this sounds like a great place. Might they find a demon there? And so we're dealing with something that um, is is a constant battle of having to... I know that's you on the, on the line, Lamone. I'm going to make you hold because I'm not interrupting my conversation to go off on whatever tangent you're going to go on. So the um, the idea of having an all-female show, it's not like it's never been brought up. No. It's just been difficult to get the networks to see the value in it. But it should happen. It should be given a chance in some form or another. There's enough ways to get shows out there now that it should be given a chance. Um, but one of the other problems is, and our friend Amanda Millette, who is Spooky New England ghoul and yep. Spooky New England on social media... She put up a video today on TikTok, and it's something that has been discussed amongst a lot of the females in the field, the women in the field now that I'm talking, I shouldn't call them females, the women in the field that I talk to on a regular basis, and there's there are some problems. There are some major problems going on right now where there are people who are I have to be careful because I'm not just on social media, I'm on the radio. And so that means there's legalities involved. Okay. But there are people who have been accused of sexual harassment. There have people who have been accused of sexual assault. And I shouldn't say people, men. Men who are accused of sexual assault, sexual harassment. Men who have been accused of outright rape who are repeatedly getting opportunities and being put into a position where they can continue to victimize women. And I, I don't know how you can stop this without coming out and naming these folks. And, and again, there's going to be legal fallout to that. And the only way to avoid that legal fallout is to have victims come forward and tell their stories. But you don't want to make a victim come forward and tell their story if they're not comfortable telling that story. I mean, there are people who will be judged harshly when they make these accusations against these uh, against these people who have done this because they have built themselves an insulated fan base, so to speak. So... As much as imagine, so just imagine being a woman who falls victim to this and then feels like she can't have her voice heard because there's always a tendency to, you know, dismiss what they say or sometimes to blame the victim or all these different reasons why they might be reluctant to come forward. But now imagine adding on top of that somebody having some minor form of celebrity. And that, is, that celebrity, including other women who are fans of, the, of those people and 
would attack anybody that would speak out against them. This is this is the problem that these women are encountering. And I think we're getting to the point where it's going to come to a head. Because they're tired of, A, not getting opportunities and seeing them go to these people. I mean, I recently ran into that myself where... I saw somebody get an opportunity that was like, I know that guy's background. I know his history. I know what he's done. And I can't believe that this person got this chance. Imagine how the people who are the victims of that person feel. Well, this happens in every industry. It's not just paranormal. It's worse than the paranormal, though. No, I've seen it happen in um, plenty of other... How many other fields that you've seen this happen in are built around the concept of putting these women alone in the dark with these men. No, I'm talking about women in other situations other than just paranormal and television. Women get exploited. Oh, this is, uh, just to be clear, I'm not talking just about television. These aren't people on television that I'm talking about necessarily. Oh, okay. No, I'm talking about the people who are just, you know, on the event posters and running their own ghost hunts. Oh, yeah. You know, women get exploited, period, no matter what they're doing. But the, that, that, That's a cold unfortunate reality but this life. this is this to me just seems worse because there has to be a trust level of going into these places mm-hmm. and having this person be the person that is who you are relying on so you know we bring people into places all the time where they have no idea where they're going right granted we usually try to have a large group I, there's a reason why I don't ever want to do, uh, and people have asked, like, why don't you just do an event where it's like five or six people? Like, they'd probably pay whatever you needed them to pay to make it worth your time because I don't want to be alone with five or six people. Because who knows what's going to happen in that situation? Who knows what's going to come out of that situation? And I'm not just talking about potential sexual assault or anything like that. I'm talking about if you've got five or six people and something happens... You know what I mean? Like anything. Like yeah. how do they all going to agree on on the phenomena that takes place? So I've always felt like having at least a dozen or so people creates enough variety and enough... Um, insulation? No, because insulation implies something wrong. I would say it creates enough um, diversity of thought. Okay. So like if we're all standing there and we're seeing something, I, you know, I'd rather have 15 people agreeing on it than four. Okay. You know, it gives it a little bit more credence and validity um, is, you know, kind of more Just what I'm because saying. sheer numbers, yeah. Right. It's like, okay, four people, it could be mass hysteria. And even 14 people, it could be mass hysteria. But also, or, you know, or just, you know, agreeing with groupthink. Yeah, I was going to say, mass hysteria is a misnomer. It's actually, right. uh, yeah, it's a mob rule. I just, yeah, I mean, more of, a, more of you know, not wanting to go yeah. against the group. Yeah, I get it. But the... The situation is, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, because there are younger women in the field now, younger women who are able to have a platform where they can share this on social media and get eyeballs and get attention, which is also very attractive to some of these people because they are just looking to increase their celebrity. And they also... They're young. Yeah. They're young. Inexperienced. They're, they're attractive. They're probably, you know, not as savvy as yeah. people who have been in the field for a long time are about who these characters are. 
and they're falling and, and it's it's just been it's been nonstop for the past couple of months that I keep hearing reports. Yeah. And I, I wish I could drop names. And some of them are. Some of them are willing to drop names if you reach out to them. Amanda said, you want to know who it is? You just send me a message. I mean, again, we can't go. And, and I feel like such a. I feel like a hypocrite to sit here and say, I know who it is and I'm not going to say their names, but I, I know what happens to somebody that's in my position when you make accusations without, yeah, without uh, being like, yeah. I don't have anything that would hold up in a court of law against them. If I did, I would feel more solid about right. maybe right coming now, out. It, I wouldn't do it on the radio no matter what, because I'm not putting my company at risk. Yeah. But it's just, it's a bigger problem than you think that it is. And if you know people who are indicating that they may be involved in this and may have had some experiences, reach out to them and find out who it is. Let me um, let me take this call here. 508-996-0500. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Pot him up. There. No, he's up. He's up. Hello? Okay. I, I saw the area code, and I assumed that it was probably Lamone. So... He can call back. I just didn't want to, you know, t go from a serious subject to, to Lamone's uh, usual antics. Not that I dislike them, but it just wasn't appropriate yeah, in that moment. Not a good segue. So, again, we will put together an episode where I've reached out to Amanda. I've reached out to some other women who have been speaking up about this and say, why don't you come on? We'll plan a night where we can all work on it together because... It, it just, it's not going to resonate with Moniz and I talking about it. All right. You are on Spooky South Coast. Good evening. Hello, Lamone. Are you there? Hello. Hi. We can barely hear you. Climb higher in that telephone pole. Hey, what's going on? What's on your mind? Um, a few things. I can wait till after the break to talk. I don't want to have to be rushed. Well, we're, we're we're on a pretty serious topic here, Lamone. So, I, okay. I, I, I are you gonna are you gonna be on topic, or you got some other things? Well, I, I was about to show. Um, you know, I had a I had Jim Carrey was one to be interviewed Thursday night, Friday night, and so and he was gonna fly me out to his. You know, he's got his own goal. I'm kind of nervous. Jim Carrey's kind of crazy. I'm kind of nervous about letting him fly me anywhere. You know, not not playing, but he's flying his own. He's got own. He's gonna. He's own. he's the pilot of the plane. Yes. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. You know, it's like you know, I hope he doesn't want to get like, oh, Phil. You know, you know, I don't know, but I'm just kind of nervous about that. He's going to fly me out, out to out to his house out in California. So, from 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 my understanding, this all came about because you were helping Jim Carrey get tickets to the Black Adam premiere from Melissa McCarthy. Is that true? No, um, but no, I always do. You know, I do sneak previews of, of the of the movies, and I've known him for a while. I've done got a mother movies back when he was. With with, uh, with Jenny McCartney and stuff like that. And so Melissa McCartney, I met her a long time ago. She she's you know she's a lot nicer you know than people think. You know they think we think because you're famous and you're uh, you're a comedian or whatever. People want to get sleep with you so they get famous like Sarah Silverman. You know, like I said, you know that's what what it is. Kind of like you know, and like anything else, it's it's you know like friends like people want to sleep with Bill Cosby because they like to put Jello pudding pops, yeah. and so. And so, and it's like that's one of the things that, that well, it is. Were we so, just talking about sexual assault, and that's where he goes? Yeah. No, no. I was, I was talking about 
All right, anyways, so what happened, um, he was he was he was here, he just left, I guess, sometime this evening, I guess. I don't know if he's gone or not for sure, but he was leaving to go back to California. And I was kind of nervous about that because, like I said, you know, heaven forbid, you know, anything affects his mind, you know what I'm talking about, anything affects his mind while sure. we're up, up there. And it's like, so that's crazy. But, you know, I also, you, uh, Steve Perry, I, t- I tried to tell you, I was at his house listening to his uh, new record. He's got a new out- single about to come out here for hol- the holidays. And so it was like, Steve Perry, you got the, you know, that would have been a nice interview, but I didn't ask him about doing the interview then. But Jim Carrey was down to do it. And I got him tickets, him and Jenny McCartney and their family, you know, her little a new boy from whatnot. They all went to go. Jenny Jane McCarthy's to- been married to Donnie Wahlberg for years. I said Melissa McCartney. Oh, oh, oh no, okay. Yeah, you, yeah and, and, you must have and, well, I mean, Jenny McCartney. Yeah, but they were they all came. They went to the movies. Go to the movies on Thursday night to the movies, and it's like that's kind of cool, you know. And did you have you seen it? Did you see the new uh, uh, Halloween movie yet? Uh, I did. It, I thought it was terrible. I thought so also. It was it was so depressing. The last one was pretty pretty neat ending, and it was it wasn't like it was like a, I want to say like a. Not quite uh, M. Night Shyamalan kind of ending, more like um, more like uh, a Farrelly brother kind of ending. <laughs> more like a there's going to be a sequel ending. <laughs> oh yeah, speaking of that, there's a news going. There's going to be a sequel to Kingpin coming out in 2024. I'm all for that. I, 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 I love that you. idea. I told you about that. That's you did do that in Bowfinger. But like, oh, I can't say that well, Bowfinger, Finger. I can't imagine there's a sequel to that. But uh, Kingpin, I understand. I gotta just hold you there, Lamone. We're up against the news, but thank you for checking in and thank you for trying. But I'm just, I'm not home to be able to do these interviews. Would you could have did it tonight? Oh, oh, thing like that would have been good to do. He would have stayed a little longer. Well, if you can, if if you can pull it off for Saturday, let me know. I gotta hold you there though, because we have to go to the news break, and we're we're gonna get the legal ID firing off. Okay, so, take, a light, take a light play, boys. All right, we'll be Little. back after the news. two of spooky south coast tim weisberg here along with science advisor matt moniz and uh we talked about a bunch of different things in the first hour but here in the second hour moniz i'm going to ask you a question so we i wrote an article the other day and uh, so i'm trying to plan something okay that i'm calling the south coast supernatural smackdown where i'm going to be taking all of the stories that i've written for wbsm.com over the years about different paranormal things, ghost stories, legends, UFO encounters, mysteries, all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to be putting them all head to head and letting people vote on them to determine what's the best South Coast like legend or ghost. It could be any one from the category, but what is the best one? What one stands out the most? And as I'm putting together this list of all the different articles that I've written that I want to feature as part of this, and I might not even get to it this year. I might have to hold off and, and run it next year, but... 
as I'm putting the list all together, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take this haunted place. I'm going to put it up against this haunted place. And I realized that there's one haunted place on the South Coast that I've never written about, yet it's all it's one people talk about it all the time, but I've never written about it. And so I wrote the article this week. If you ask most people what's the most haunted house that there's ever been on the South Coast, what are they going to say? I would hope they would say Lizzie Borden's. But they're not. Okay. What's the, what's the place that they're going to mention outside of that? And you know the answer to this. I don't know. Do I? You do. Okay. Actual haunted places. What haunted house story is told the most across the South Coast? Well, like I, I, My mind just keeps going back to Lizzie's. The Lizzie Borden story really probably only started post-1996 when it opened up as the bed and breakfast. Okay. There were, probably weren't a lot of ghost stories happening around there before then. This place had ghost stories going back even before that. You're going to kick yourself when I give you the answer. Probably. Are you ready to give up or do you want to do you want to give it a, a Well, I know the Pairing Tavern has had ghost but stories. But we we put that on the map. Well, I know okay. That's so that's Wait, post Let me guess it's going to be one of these places that Oh, yeah, duh. This one goes back to the 80s. Okay. It's probably a place you probably trespassed at during your teenage years. Or your early 20s. Was it in Bridgewater? Nope. <laughs> I've been Please give me the I'm damn... I'm enjoying torturing you. Give me the town. Well, if I give it to you, you're going to guess right away. If I tell you the town, you're immediately going to know. Because there's not a lot of other legends associated with this place, with this town. Okay. You can see it from 195. Oh, don't tell me the place in Westport. The house next to White's. That that isn't really was no, never haunted. I didn't say I didn't say true haunted house story, did I? No, I said what is the haunted house that if you ask people about, what are they most oh, going to say? God. The house next to White's, uh, which by the way, it wasn't next to White's. It was like a quarter it, mile away. Yeah. But that house had the most stories uh, about it than any other place that I ever researched for my book. And as you None said, of them true. Well, I mean, well, there's no truth to the hauntings of right. it, but I can't say whether or not what people experienced yeah, okay. was true or not. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But this, this, I, and I couldn't believe that I'd never written an article about that house in all the years that I've been writing about haunted places around here and, and legends around here. I've never once written about it. So I wrote an article the other day and it's up at WBSM.com and on the app, but I, I kind of dispelled some of the rumors about it and some of the truth and found some of the truth about it. So this, well, I, I found out firsthand from talking to the property owners and the, the neighbors, I got the true story from, uh, there's a business next door. Okay. Well, now it's gone. Now it's been leveled. Well, the, the look yeah, that location I'm talking the business nearby, I think is actually still in business. But. So what it was, was it was, it was a home that was, it was private land. Yep. That was owned by a family, uh, a couple, and let me give you their names. Hold on, because I have it here in the story. Seventies. Can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, Marie and Armand Brodor. They Late bought so. the property in 1943, and the, when they bought the property in 1943, the house that they originally lived in was on the other side of the property. Okay. So where their house was, 
was where 195 was coming in. Yeah. So they had to level their house in order to put in the interstate. And so they built this house in 1967, okay. 1969 a, rather, yeah, on the other side of the of yeah. the house, okay. uh, the other side of the property. And they lived in it after it was built for 10 years until 1979. And in 1979, they sold it to a teacher from New Bedford. That teacher, she remained in the house until 1985. So she spent about six years living in the house. And that's when she sold it to Sumner J. Waring, who was the Which owner of Waring Funeral, Funeral Homes, yeah. now Waring Sullivan. Right. So he bought it with the intention. This is uh, There was a 2000 was, article in the Herald News in which he told the reporter he had bought it for administrative offices for his funeral home business and then decided storage. not to not to hold them yeah, not was, to use them there. Yeah. So he let the house just kind of fall into disrepair. And at one point they even had to put stone pillars in the driveway to keep people from pulling up into the driveway. Yeah. So but people would yeah, if they've kept some stuff in there for storage, people look in the windows, they're like, "Oh my god, there's caskets in there." Well, yeah, because it's being used as storage for a funeral home. Yeah. And he unequivocally unequivocally said that it was not haunted. He said it's a lot of hogwash, frankly. The whole thing is absurd. I can't imagine anyone would take any credence in this stuff. Any rational individual knows there aren't ghosts coming out of that place. Okay, well, maybe they're not coming out of your place, but I'm a rational individual, and I know that there are ghosts. But anyway, so that's you know the way that he felt about it. But he also never really gave any reason as to why he just let the property sit there empty either. So I think that that kind of helped play into some of that legend. Because why would you spend that money on that property to just let it sit vacant? I mean, if you wanted to use it for storage, you would just you could store stuff somewhere else. You didn't have to have this big house that you were using as a, as a storage facility. And why would you, if you had people breaking into it constantly and you were constantly having to call the police about it, why would you hang on to that property? If it was causing you that much problems, you could make a nice payday. I'm sure that there were people who would love to have that piece of land. And it, and it, again, it got leveled and turned into a business. So it had commercial zoning. Mm -hmm. and, and it turned into, you know, a, a, a thriving business over there. But why would you have wanted to hold on to it unless maybe you felt like you had to hold on to it? Unless you felt like you had to keep people from moving into it. Now, I'm just speculating here. I'm not saying that I know anything. But I'm just saying there might have been something a little bit, there might have been some truth to some of these stories that just wasn't getting told. And, and that vehement denial, ve vehement denial that he had in the Herald News article only served to kind of raise my eyebrow a little bit more. So again, I'm not, you know, uh, Mr. Waring passed away uh, many years ago, and I'm not trying to, to say that this was him, you know, not telling the truth, but I just, I wonder if, if, you weren't holding on to that property because you felt like there was something in that in it that you needed to contain or keep people from experiencing for themselves. I mean, we've heard from police officers who would talk about having to go to that house. Yeah, and keep people out for trespassing. But yeah. yet would find weird things going on themselves. One of the, the biggest... Um, uh, the cop waking up on the other floor that he started from and all of that. I've yet to really... I never found that officer one of the stories that keeps surfacing from the house is that people would experience lights in the house but yet the house had no electricity and i can tell you that one of the fun 107 djs back in the late 90s spent a night in that house 
and confirm that there was no electricity, but yet a light came on in the house with no electricity in the house. Like he saw weird lights inside the house, but there was no power. Okay. And so I, t I put this in the story that, you know, people report seeing lights, but there was no power. And then people are sharing photos of the outside light being on. They had a floodlight over in front of the driveway. And so a couple of things. Maybe they put that floodlight in later because mm. so many people were trying to sneak into right. the house. Timelines match up. Maybe the floodlight, could, it could have been solar powered. Yeah. Because I, as somebody tried to say that, oh, they didn't have solar powered floodlights back then. Yeah, they did. I put a solar powered floodlight into my house when I moved into it in 2005. And it was a fairly common technology then. So when this house was still standing in the early 2000s, it, there probably were solar-powered floodlights, especially if you had a place that you didn't want to turn the lights on at. You would say, well, I'm going to put a solar-powered light outside. And by the way, I'm pretty sure that if, if it existed, but it was still pretty pricey to put it in, that the owner of wearing funeral homes had the money to be able to do it. If you can buy a property like that and just sit on it and not do yeah. anything, you, you've got the money to put in a, a solar-powered floodlight. So, or maybe, maybe also it could have just been running to the neighbor's house for electricity. You know, there's a variety of different things that could explain why you have a photo of the light on outside in the driveway. Uh, but I think the most likely scenario is they had to put it in there after people were breaking in so often. Around, probably around the same time they put the stone pillars in the driveway so that you couldn't drive into the driveway. Which also seems extreme, doesn't it? Mm. You're, if you're trying to prevent people from getting into the place, reducing the the accessibility does make sense. Old Bedford Road is not exactly uh, Route Six or no. the Cranberry Highway. Like it's, no, I get where you, you're going, they, but, but it's easy enough on to the find. Street. You got to go by it to get to White's. And also, no, no, it's well, it's it's on a back road. Like so, you don't have to go by it. No, but I'm saying the road to access it is still right there. I think you could have parked the car at the cemetery next door. Yeah. And you could have walked over into the house to, to, to break in if you wanted to do that without ever having to be near the driveway. Why was he putting those stone pillars up in the driveway? What was it about getting that close to the house with a vehicle that was an issue? Or, hold on, maybe he was trying to keep something on the property. Mm. There you go. Again, this is all just speculation. but yeah. and, I, and I'm not trying to besmirch the I, name of the late Mr. Waring, but... I never found much credence to any of the stories. There. And I don't either. I'm just having fun with the legend. Okay. But I, I do think that there is, it, it is a little bit interesting that they went to these lengths to keep people out of the house when they could have just gotten rid of the house. If you, if you felt like it was going to be a property you could sit on to eventually sell for commercial development, why not just level the house yourself? Just level the house yourself and not deal with all these mm. problems. You know, I mean, again, uh, I'm assuming he had the money to do it. And you just work that into the price for the land. You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not that easy. Maybe it's easier for somebody who's buying a property to level a house and somebody who already owns it. I don't know those ins and outs. The logistics of it, you know, you bought the property. The bank is looking at the building as, you know. Also. You know, it could be that it's, you know, close to a historic burial ground. So there might have been some problems with be how yeah. you would be able to remove it. You know, it, it was it's literally just feet from the um, what was it? The. Uh, 
want to make sure it, it is a give the, give the proper name for it. Uh, the Wardell Burial Ground. Okay. So it's, I mean, so there's probably some regulations to how you would handle demolition yeah. that close to a historic spot like that. But I, I do think that it is cl clearly one of the most infamous legends of the South Coast. No matter what. And, and, you know, when I'm out there doing Ghosts of the South Coast, I, I don't, I never really bring it up in the presentation because there's not a lot of, you know, meat on the bone for it. But people always bring it up in the questions afterwards. Hmm. They'll all, or if I'm talking about haunted houses, even on my daytime show, sometimes the paranormal comes up and you'll always get a couple of people that call in and say, well, what about the house that was next to White's? Hmm. And it, it's, it's forever going to live on. It doesn't matter because... It's funny, everybody knows somebody that lived in the house, but yet I just trace back for you who yeah. actually lived in the house. But everybody knows somebody. And it's like, oh, my friend lived there back in the 70s. Like, no, they didn't. It's a, you, you feel like, um, you know, Billy Madison talking to the Chris Farley, the bus driver. Like, no, you don't. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you don't. And But that's how it goes. It, it, it becomes a little bit of the telephone game. Mm -hmm. where oh, I heard from somebody and they heard from somebody and it's like, no, no, none of that's true. But, you know, like I always say, the legend becomes fact. You print the legend. Yeah. And certainly that's the case with this with this particular house. I am a little bit sad that it got torn down before we started doing all this stuff, like before we had Spooky South Coast and all that, because mm -hmm. I would have loved to have, you know, done a little bit further exploration. And I'm guessing because Mr. Waring let Kuchenbacher from Fun 107 go and stay in there, that, you know, maybe he would have been amenable to, to us getting in there for a night, but uh, we'll never get the chance. The businesses that standing there, the business that stands there, though, maybe if they're listening and if they have any kinds of problems, let us know. Mm, good point. Because uh, do you think do you think if you were them, if you were the people that own the businesses in the, what is now a, a large industrial building, would you say anything to anybody? Or would you rather uh, keep it to yourself? It's also a large industrial building. How many people are really in it? And, you know. Well, and they probably have security better security cameras. than the house had. But at the same time, like, would you want people coming around knowing how what the reputation was of the place that was there before it? You know, oh, every weekend the cops had to be down here, especially Halloween time. Cops had to be down here. Uh, Mr. Waring tells the story in the Herald News article of there was a group of teenagers that broke in, I guess, one Halloween and they're in there, like, trying to look for ghosts. And the police show up. And the police walk into the house. And when they go in, one of the police officers' radio goes off. And the kids on the second floor heard this and thought that there was, like, ghostly voices coming out of nowhere and bolted out of the house. <laughs> so, I mean, having a police presence probably increased some of the stories, too. Because we, I mean, we've taken phone calls from officers oh, yeah. who have said that they have, you know, they would show up there and they would, and I've talked to police myself, like, you know, off the record who have said that they've, they'd gone there to respond and, you know, they're, they're telling the kids get out of here. There's nothing going on. That's paranormal here. None of these stories are true yet. They're also thinking to themselves, like, I want to get out of here as fast as I can because I've had weird experiences in this house. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I've got a lot of good stories from police officers of real haunted houses, people calling the cops because 
back in the day, they didn't know who else to call when, you know, things going bump in the night in their houses and stuff. And you, they would call the police and police would show up and, you know, yeah, I'm hearing the footsteps in the, going down the hall and there's nobody there in this guy's house. And, you know, and he's like, I remember this story that one guy told me back in the 80s and it involved a house in Marion, Massachusetts. And he responded because the person had just moved in and they thought they had somebody upstairs. The cops come in and he hears the footsteps on the second floor. He goes checking room to room to room, clearing the, clearing the second floor. Nobody there. No way for them to get out if there was somebody up there. Nowhere for them to hide. Comes back downstairs, tells, you know, there's... Nobody up there, and then all of a sudden, footsteps start walk clearly walking down the upstairs hallway again. So, I mean, we've had plenty of instances where, I mean, sometimes we hear stories from law enforcement about the way that people react to these reports, yep. and sometimes it's the way that the officers themselves react to the reports. Uh, sometimes they're not. They haven't had the experiences, but they're just interested in having the experiences. Sometimes they just like to listen to the show. Like <laughs> like the, the, the state yeah, trooper who helped of, you out that time yeah. that you hit a deer. Yeah. And he was like, I was just listening to you on the radio. Yep. So it, it certainly is, um, it's a profession where you can get a lot of stories coming out of it. You know, I, I, I was, um, as I was saying, you know, tonight I was at the Freetown Police Department. And somebody in the, you know, I posted the photos up to social media and somebody commented and said, it's actually Ross's wife who said, you know, did the police share any stories that they've had? And, and John Brightman chimed in with about how, you know, how many officers have told him stories over the years. They're the ones who get called when people hear footsteps yeah. and there isn't supposed to be somebody there. It used to be that you called the police first and a paranormal investigator second. Now it might be a little bit the other way around. <laughs> you call the paranormal investigator and the first thing we have to say is, well, did you call you the police? The police? Like, no, I'm pretty sure it's a ghost. Like, can you call them to have them double check before I come to see if it's a ghost and end up getting, you know, stabbed or shot by somebody who's trying to rob your house? But the... Um, well, luckily, I got things covered. But the... It's still not going to... It doesn't mean it's 100%. True. You're, let the police go and check it out first. That's what they're there for. So one of the things that I've I've noticed about the way that these stories have changed is, you know, stories like The House Next to White's is now that people uh, can document things a little bit more because they've got their cell phones, they've got cameras, they've got video recorders with them all the time and, and, and audio recorders with them all the time, is that the legends don't grow as fast. They, they kind mm. of easily get, I don't want to say debunked because you can't really debunk it if somebody doesn't have, there's nothing to debunk if they don't have something to show you. But what it is is, the stories don't take on that life of their own and grow those legs like they would have in the 70s and the 80s. Well, yeah, because it was all word of mouth. And like you said, with when you're starting to play the telephone game, the story gets embellished a little right. bit more and a little bit more, in some cases a lot of bit more, depending upon who's telling it. The story was only as good as the storyteller that was telling it. Right. And And I think that's why a house like that could get that reputation because you had you had something... At its very base level, you had a house that looked like it could be haunted. Yeah. You had a it was house just run down. A, yeah. A house that was abandoned. 
how often do we have abandoned houses anymore? I mean, there's a housing crisis. So you don't often have homes that sit empty for too long. If a house like that was to sit today, every developer would be offering Sumner Waring whatever amount of money he wanted to sell that property because they would turn that over and, and, and put somebody in that house very quickly. Yep. So you don't really have, and I was thinking about this when I wrote that article about how New Bedford was number two for ghost encounters. And there were stories that came in about, you know, the abandoned house at the end of this street and the abandoned house on this street. It's like, you don't see that anymore. You don't see the house with the vacant lot and the, the empty you know, boarded up windows and all and that. The it's, overgrown lawn. It's and, rare. Yeah. It yeah. happens, but it's rare. Right. Because now they're leveling it and put up duplexes. Yeah. The property is too valuable. Yeah. And, uh, and and part of part of those stories developing probably came from neighborhood kids right. walking by and sometimes, unfortunately, breaking into those places. And so if they don't have those places to interact with, they don't have the stories to develop around them. And you lose a little bit of that. But the other side of that, too, is the ones that do last, the stories that do last, we do have more solid um, information, say, well, you know, we don't have to necessarily have proof of anything going on there, but we can have the the easy things to dispel aren't so easy to dispel anymore. Like you can't say, well, of course you think that it's haunted because it's an abandoned house or because there's caskets being stored in it and all of those things. Like all of those factors go away when you can actually prove one or another if that stuff is true. I mean, just think about the story. You know, we 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 share the stories about the house next to whites that we have heard being people that didn't grow up in Westport. Right. So imagine what it must've been like hearing those stories and being the kids in that town. And we've talked to people that grew up in the Mm -hmm. town and would tell us like, yeah, like you, you weren't, you know, you weren't uh, cool until you went and you snuck in there and spent, you know, you spend an hour in there or whatever, or spend a night in there. And it, it became kind of a rite of passage for people. It's kind of sad that we don't have those places anymore. It's kind of sad that we don't have a big hulking, you know, Victorian-looking house abandoned at the corner of a road. I mean, I'm glad people can live in a house that was built after that one was torn down, but it's you lose some character with that, and you lose some of this ability to have people want to tell these stories. Yeah, you get where you're going. It's It's the nostalgia. Yeah, it's a lot harder to tell a story about a building that has a family living in it. You know, Actually, couldn't that be a lot more scary if it's... True, know. but it's also harder to tell the story because it's harder to get people to believe the story, rather. Because you can tell the story and they're going to say, yeah, but wouldn't the people that live in it move out if that was the case? That isn't always the case. True. As and, being, it's, yeah. and as, as noticed, you know, one of the things that I noticed in the, the New Bedford homes that we were writing about is a lot of them said, I would love to move, but I can't afford it. Right. So it's, you know, especially these days, it's not so easy for people to find a new house to move into or to be able to afford the move. Just as expensive. But it's far more, it's far easier to dismiss the stories of somebody just hearing them if you know that somebody lives in there now. 508-996-0500. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast. Yeah, good evening. An interesting point made about abandoned houses. And I'd just like to suggest that maybe Detroit is a great area. (laughs) <laughs> to uh, inspect abandoned houses, they got tens of thousands of them. The banks don't even aren't even interested. I'm sure there's dead bodies in some of the cellars, but uh, etc. I'm sure you get some activity on your uh, computers and things that you use. 
Uh, the point being is that when a city of 2 million becomes a city of 740,000 almost overnight, there's got to be there's got to be some kind of uh, something in the air. Uh, ghost sightings or whatever, or just a creepy feeling. Um, does that indicate anything to you if you find uh, in a house cold spots and a creepiness about the whole place? Is that um, for well, your investigation? Yeah, cold spots for sure. Well, bear in mind that most abandoned places don't have any heating going on in them, so finding True, cold spots. But no matter where we go to investigate, one of the one of the tools that we usually will bring with us is a digital thermometer. Because the idea is that if a spirit is manifesting, it draws in the heat energy around it in order to do so. So you will develop... Known as an endothermic reaction. You will get these cold spots around it. And uh, so if you do have the temperature dropping like that in a in an isolated area, it may be some kind of indication of something. Okay, it's an indicator. At the same time, uh, that you're talking science right now. Not, not well, I'm a scientist. I hope so. Pseudo pseudoscience in, in a lot well, of people's eyes. I'm a scientist because I got a paper that says I'm one too. Uh, I've, so, okay. <laughs> you know, they, you know, Harvard University. Somebody had to build it before they took a classroom. Yep. So yeah, so some people can fly without the paperwork. Now that we're way off topic, have a good weekend. <laughs> you as well. Take care. Uh, 508-996-0500. If you want to call in and chime in, you can also send an app chat message. I haven't mentioned that yet tonight, but I do have the app chat open on the WBSM app. So if you are uh, somebody who listens to the show, but you can't quite call in because maybe you're working, maybe it's you know family night and you're not supposed to be listening, but you've got an ear button in any way, uh, no matter what it might be that you makes it so you can't call in, and some people just still aren't comfortable calling in and talking about these things. You can always send us app chat messages on the WBSM app. When you open up the app on your phone or on your iPad or whatever other device, you'll see a bunch of buttons in the middle. And one of those is app chat. Select that. And then it'll ask you what show you want to send it to. Usually it defaults right to the show that's on the air. Uh, but you can always select Spooky South Coast and send that in. So even if you want to send that message when we're not on the air, as long as you send it to the Spooky South Coast channel, we will see it. If you send it to the other shows, they're just going to get it and they'll be like, what? I don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they mean there. 508-996-0500. Good morning. Good morning. Ugh, so Keep used to that, that now. <laughs> good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey, good evening, though. Has anybody ever wondered about asking the teacher that owned the house? You know, I'm trying to find who that was. I'm going to go into the Bristol County Registry of Deeds and see if I can track down who it was. I mentioned that the other day when I was talking about this on my morning show, and somebody texted me in and said, they're not 100% sure of the person that owned it, but they think that the person that did passed away. Oh. So, well. because it was 1985 that they sold the house. So, yeah, uh, you know, could have been could have been somebody that was a little bit older then. Yeah, well, I just thought of that question. Well, thanks a lot. No problem. Have a good night. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that was something that I, I had mentioned. I said, you know, I'm going to try and track down the name of that person because it should be in the Bristol County Registry yeah, of Deeds. Should. Uh, but then, you know, can you can you necessarily locate that person? Did they move to Florida? You know, did they retire or move somewhere else? Uh, but it is, you know, it is something that I thought about doing because I want to find out why? Number Question number one. Well, I guess question number one might be, did anything weird ever happen to you when you lived there? But question number two would be what, or maybe I should reverse them just to be more conversational. But the other question would be, why did you sell after you bought the house for six years? Because when you think about it, six years isn't a long time to own a house. 
it's kind of the blink of an eye when you take over as a homeowner. So could it have been, you know, it could have been a financial situation. Could have been maybe a marriage that dissolved. Yeah, I was going to say a number of different factors. It could be that, you know, they job could have been moved. transferred to somewhere yeah, else yeah. Or, or decide to take a job in another school district. Right. But, you know, whenever you see that somebody was in a house for a short period of time, you do think to yourself. That is one of the hallmarks of a yeah, haunted. If it has a, a paranormal reputation to it. But I, I think, you know, what's funny, too, is there's a lot of people that are listening to this show, but nobody is calling in to say, I, I broke into that house. or <laughs> I <read it." laughs> like, Statues of limitations has now run out. So it has, but you still, you know, you don't necessarily want to admit to it. Um, well, let me ask you, Moniz, because you were somebody who was into this stuff before you were even really into this stuff. No, I've been to the house back in the 80s and early 90s. But No, but aside from that, would before you kind of started doing everything on the up and up, did you break into places? Oh, yeah. Because, well, number one, I was a teenager. Right. <laughs> Advanced and thinking of, about, about repercussions wasn't exactly forefront. To be fair, in those days... The, the penalties for doing so weren't nearly as severe uh, as they are yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, it, it was just trespassing. And the cop would tell you to get out. Uh, and, yeah, you know, pretty much, yeah. You would, you'd have to do something really serious to have yeah, to go to court Yeah, you had to be it. severely destructive. If you were just going there to poke around, yeah, they would like, get out, don't let me catch you here again type of thing, and then... But know. because of people like you doing things like that, the insurance problem started to come into play and that's why they take things so much serious now because they started to have people that were breaking into places and, and filing lawsuits i mean there's always that famous story of what happened with the lad school in yeah. rhode island where and if you're not familiar with this story i'll give you the abbreviated and, and somewhat less painful version a group of kids broke into this lad school and the school had been abandoned and it was there were still a lot of materials in the school from when it was operating including in the science lab and these kids broke in and, you know, I say kids, they were like late teens, early 20s. Well, I think it might have been 16, but they broke in. Yeah, I thought they were underage, yeah. And they, yeah, because I they couldn't hold them criminally accountable. Right. But so they break in, the kid spills acid left him. in the science lab. Sulfuric acid, which is a nasty acid. On That's his really lap. And yeah. burns off the... Um, Burns off what would have been in his lap, was no longer in his lap, and then proceeded to try to sue the state of Rhode Island because it was so easy for them to break into the school and because they left the acid out there. So, of course, it got thrown out of court, but somebody still tried. And because of that, that's why, you know, not just because of that, but because of yeah. things like that, incidents like that is why they're so hypervigilant about keeping people people from breaking in. So now what used to be a slap on the wrist, oh, let me see you here again, is now you're getting cuffed. We're calling your parents. You're going before a judge. It's yep. going on your record. So that's why I'm always adamant when I see people talking about places that I know you're not supposed to go, and I'll always comment underneath, like, don't go there. Or if you're going to go there, only go with permission. Or talk to the police before you go there and see what they have to say. Because I know that there are people that have gotten arrested for this. All right. Um, I heard, I, as you know, I'm friends with a lot of different police departments because one of the other gigs that I got going on. Well, there's a particular hospital that is scheduled to be being torn down now in 
matter of a few months or whatever coming up. You know where I'm talking about, mm -hmm. not far from here. Yeah, some people continuously get caught trying to go in there. It's and, the urban explorers. Yeah. And, and, and they don't understand that what they're doing makes it harder for everybody else. Yeah. You know, first of all, don't be an idiot. When you go in and you break into a place and you take photos of it and then you post the photos online, you have just admitted to committing a crime. Okay. Yeah. And they can and will prosecute you for that. Also, there's enough of these places that will allow you in if you ask them. But they want you to have permission. And they want to know that you're there so that they can account and for you. And a waiver signed and insurance. How and, many yeah. times have we had stories, especially when we did the Week and Weird, yep. where somebody went into one of these places and died or yep. was seriously hurt? You know, and I, I, I argue because there's so many people that I'm friends with who are paranormal investigators but are also urban explorers, and we always argue about that side of things. It's like you really shouldn't be doing that. And you don't understand that you are making life harder for people who are paranormal investigators, which you include yourself in that, by doing those kinds of things. You shouldn't go into a place without permission ever. First of all, they're not your ghosts. It's not your story to tell about that place. And a lot of them, especially here in Massachusetts... So one of the things that I tried to do when I was working for the different TV shows and trying to find places to film is I reached out to the Massachusetts Department of Public Health and said, can we get into this location? And they would say no. And then I would say, can we get into this location? And they would say no. And it just so happened that the person that I was working with at my day job was related to the person who was in charge of I, I don't know, media relations or something for Mass DPH. So I s used the name and I said, hey, I'm friends with this person and, you know, we work together and um, he can vouch for me. He knows that I'm working on this show and it's all on the up and up. And I said, can you just give me some insight into where we might be able to go? And I was told you can't go to any Mass DPH property, which was all the abandoned hospitals. You can't go to any of those because uh, they've been in mental hospitals, I should say, because they never properly closed out and cleaned out those buildings. So they all still had physical patient records hanging out inside of them. So if you went and broke into one of those places and got caught, you wouldn't just be getting in trouble for trespassing. HIPAA? The, 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 so there would be HIPAA violations for the facility, not for the person that goes in there and does it, but they can get you on um, uh, violation of patient privacy. Yeah. The same way, like, yeah. if you if you went and broke into a hospital now, an active hospital, and look through there, like, you could, get, you could get charged with, you know, going through those records, and they will do that to you, even if you didn't touch the records while you were in there, because they're out in the open. And I've seen photos of people who have breaking into these places and found those patient records and they take pictures of them and post them on social media. Like, okay, could you be any stupider? Because you just took somebody and it doesn't matter if the person's alive or dead. The privacy carries through. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't be taking that and putting it on there. And, and, and I just think it's an irresponsible hobby to have. And it re it's really irresponsible when I see that the person is also a paranormal investigator because it's like, you should be on the forefront of 
telling people never to go into a place without yeah. having permission. Yeah. That, that's supposed to be the first rule. Be invited or get permission to be where you're going. And the other thing, you know, as I mentioned, you know, they're not your ghosts. That's another thing that's irked me lately that I've had to, I've had to make a few comments about at different events over the years. You can't go into a place that has a reputation of being haunted and take it upon yourself to move the spirits on, to cross them over, unless the people that own that property ask you to do that. Like if your house has rats, yeah, you would like to have those rats removed maybe, but you don't want somebody just showing up when you're not home and getting rid of your rats. That would be weird. Well, 508-996-0500. You're next on WBSM. Good evening. What's on your mind? Well, I had heard that some of the kids that would go into the house in um, Westport next to White's mm-hmm. would do seances and use Ouija boards. So maybe that did conjure up some spirits to be there. It could maybe be. The, yeah, maybe the funeral parlor owner knew this and couldn't sell the house because if you knew it was haunted, you couldn't sell it without disclosing the fact that it was haunted. So I think, you know, in Massachusetts, if somebody asks... You have to tell them, but you don't have to tell them if you know and they don't ask. Oh, so I see. He might have been able to sidestep that a little bit, but also, if you don't know, if you have no knowledge of it, if you plead ignorance to it, I mean, you can't tell somebody something that you don't know. So I think distance, distancing himself from it was smart, but you absolutely brought up a great point that people going in there and doing this could have conjured something up. It could have opened up the doorway for something else to come in. It could have caused something else that was around to try to, you know, focus and say, well, I can hang out here because people are going to keep coming in here and talking to me. So they weren't they weren't really doing uh, the they weren't doing Mr. Mr. Wearing any favors by breaking in there and doing that stuff. Right. I think, you know, it usually opens up portals when you do seances and use the Ouija board. So and I think all those years of that talk and stuff, you know, after after a while, it becomes a fact. But do you know? Yeah. The, do you know that if even if somebody had pulled up outside in a car and just said said out loud, "Hey, if anybody's in this house, can you flash the lights on and off?" Even that is enough to open up that doorway. So That's right. yeah, it, it, there was there was a lot of invocation. potential. There. Yep, invocation is invocation. Very interesting. Right. Couldn't somebody couldn't somebody still go on that property? That must be residual energy there and still do a um, reading a reading on it so uh, it, because it is now a a, a business uh, I've been trying to push home the point of like nobody should do that but oh, you know if, the business okay I didn't know that yeah and if but if they wanted that to happen they could certainly reach out to us and we could find somebody respected to, to be able to do that for them I'm wondering if they're having any problems. <laughs> That's interesting. The, the only problem they're going to have now is they're going to have a problem with us talking about it so much. Like, we thought that story finally went away. <laughs> All right. Have, have a good night. You do the same. Love your show. Thank you Thank so you. much. Uh, let's Thank see you. if we can squeeze in one more call here before the end of the night. You are next on Spooky South Coast. Hey, pal. What's up? Remember nine years ago when I called in with, with uh, the name, the female, no disrespect to her. When I was talking about my friend who had died in the apartment I lived in, and she made it like real personal. Mm-hmm. Well, the same kind of things happening in the building I'm living in now. So I will reach out to you next week or two so uh, she can talk to us and make this work. Okay. Because now I live in a sixth apartment building, and in a day in the hallway, 
I felt the same kind of presence that I told you. Remember, talk about the cat walking around the spot where my friend died. Sure. Same thing happened uh, Monday and even last night when I was going down the stairwell. And then I found out today that somebody died in that stairwell like 15 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, that kind of like that vibe, that feeling, you know, bro? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's always I'll, a pleasure, my friend. I'll keep an eye out for that. You send me something this week. Yes, I will. And always a pleasure. I'm, I'm proud of what you do. Likewise. Take care. God bless. And you as well. And um, we, are, we are just about out of time. Yeah. But I will say, let me reiterate, don't bother the business that's in that spot now. Don't bother any place that has a rumor of any kind of haunting. Only go there if you have permission. Don't trespass. Don't walk into it. Don't. And, you know, even places that have open access that have um, a history of being haunted, don't try to do anything without permission. You know, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of places that will have tours and they might conduct a historical tour. They might conduct a ghost tour. It's not really polite to turn on your recorder and try to record EVPs if you're on the historical tour and they, they don't want you to do that. Mm. So I just, I, I always try to reiterate that permission is important. There was, there was a place that we have written about and spoken about before that the person who oversees that place showed up here at the station and and begged us not to talk about it anymore because it had made caring for that property so much harder. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't even us that was necessarily causing the problems. It had, it had been written about, about by a much bigger website that everybody was referencing. And we tried to do the best we could to keep people from going there. And we took down the stories that we had about it and we stopped talking about it. But you don't understand that you are causing real problems for people if they have paranormal issues and they want them addressed they in 2022 you can find an easy way to do that it's very hard for me to believe anymore that people say i just have no idea what to do i think my place is haunted and i have no idea what to do you can just go into google and type in paranormal investigators near me and find them and i know that because sometimes people reach out to me and they say do you know anybody in this area and I will go into Google and say paranormal investigators near Albany, New York. And I'll see a list of them. I'll say, oh, I do, I do know that person. No, no, I do. I, I, I know this person. I trust this person. So, you know, I'll do that as much as sometimes I'll just put on Facebook. Do I know anybody in the Albany area? Yeah. So there, it's easy enough for them to find you if they want you. So don't put yourself in a position where you're forcing yourself on them. You can't foist a paranormal investigation on somebody that doesn't want it. Well, that'll that'll end my uh, soapbox portion of tonight. I got on a couple of soapboxes here, yeah. but um, I was confirming with the people that I invited on, the women that I invited to come on, and in the future we will have an episode dedicated to some of those problems and addressing them. Even if we can't get all of the ones that I reached out to to come on all at once, it could be something that we talk to some of them one night, we talk to some of them another night because it's an important enough issue that we need to keep addressing it. But I, I definitely want Stephanie to be here for those episodes because it's something that her and I have talked about a lot behind the scenes as well. That will do it for tonight's edition of Spooky South Coast. We will be back next week. There won't be a show the week after that. Uh, and then we will have uh, a whole bunch of shows and then we won't have a show in December. And then, of course, next thing you know, it'll be January and it'll be our 17th anniversary. 17? 17, right? No. Six, yes. 2006 plus 17 oh, is 23. Yep. yep. So it will be our 17th anniversary. 
Um, I think that hits the. I think that hits the point where we can drive, but we can't yet buy a scratch ticket yet. Mm-hmm. So. That'll be coming up uh, in January. We look forward to celebrating that with all of you. And we're getting closer to episode 666, so that'll be a lot of fun as well. That'll do it, though, for tonight. Until next week, for Matt, for Stephanie, I want you all to stay spooktacular.